0: This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious, sugar-free, electrolyte drink mix. I tried this recently after hearing about it on another podcast, and since then, I've stocked up on boxes and boxes of this and usually use it one to two times per day. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks. As a coach or an athlete, you will not find a better product that focuses on the essential electrolytes your body needs during competition. Element has become a staple in my own training and something we are excited to offer our coaches and student athletes as well. Element is used by military special forces teams, Team USA weightlifting, at least five NFL teams, and more than half the NBA. You can try it risk-free. If you don't like it, Element will give you your money back, no questions asked. They have extremely low return rates. Element came up with a very special offer for you as a listener to this podcast. For a limited time, you can claim a free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. For U.S. customers, this means that you can receive an eight-count sample pack for only $5. Simply go to drinkelement.com slash justinclimo. That's drinkelement.com slash justinclimo to claim your free eight-count sample pack drinkelement.com slash justinclimo.
1: The Context Podcast is proudly sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar. Our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on special occasions. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European Wine Drinkers California Wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard sourced from Napa Noma County, and Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with an eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations with every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. Also, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful. The wines are great. And you'll be supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at wines. 4Change.com, discount code CONTACTS at checkout.
0: Hello, and welcome to Contacts, a podcast dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches sharing what they have learned throughout their career. I want to open the door into my network of contacts whose innovative, reflective, and diverse coaching knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. I'm your host, Justin Klemmel. Welcome back to Contacts. We are joined today by Terrence Harris, head basketball coach at Mission Prep in San Luis Obispo. He is also the assistant vice provost at Cal Poly for enrollment management. Coach, thanks for being here today. Really excited to get this thing going.
2: Hey, a pleasure to be here with you, Justin.
0: So if you don't mind, Why don't you walk us through your background and how you got into coaching, how you ended up at Mission Prep, and the process by which you find yourself in this profession?
2: Yeah, like I said, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate being here. And my story in terms of my coaching career, I am an alum of Mission Prep. I actually started off as a ball boy when I was first grade, second grade, I think my brother was at the high school. And so I had a chance to sit on the bench and be the ball boy and really fell in love with the game at, at that point as a first and second grader. And fast forward to my playing days at Mission Prep, I actually played for my brother there. When I graduated, he left us as, as head coach, passed the baton down to his assistant coach, who was one of his high school teammates. So little legacy there. I went over to Cal Poly to be a student, tried out for the Hoops team didn't make it <laughs> and came, came back to, to Coach Mott and said, hey, can I work with you? And he said, of course. So I spent about seven years as an assistant coach. And when Coach Mott stepped down, it was in the springtime. He had already mapped out everything for the summer and kind of a, a group of parents. And, and he said, "Will you take these guys through the summer while we work on figuring out a replacement. And I said, of of course, these were my guys. I wanted to make sure I got them through great group of kids. I wanted to make sure that the transition was smooth, that they had what they needed. They were hardworking kids. And that stood out to me that these kids grind, they love it. And I want to make sure that they, they keep that love and that grind for the game. So fast forward to the fall time. They actually hadn't filled the position yet. They had interviewed a number of people, things didn't work out. And now it's September and they still do not have a head coach and uh, same group of parents actually sat me down i'm 25 years old they sat me down a couple business owners and they said hey listen we need this to be you and i'm like need what to be me we need you to take over this job we need you to be the head coach the kids know you the kids respect you you know them like we got your back let's do this and i'm 25 years old a year removed from college barely figuring out how to take care of myself, thinking about the quality of this program. It's been a great program. And I'm like, and you want me to take over? They're like, we got your back. We will help you through this. We will make sure you succeed. You got to step up. And I decided to step up I said, okay, let's do it. I expected to get that group of juniors who I was really close with at the time because I coached them. I expected to get them through their high school career. I'll take this for, for the next two years, get these kids through and and move on. 15 years later, I'm, st- I'm still there as the head coach. And it's cool, that whole journey. Again, over the last, I don't know, four decades, there's only been four of us as coaches and it's it's within the same family. My brother was he played for Tim Culp and then he was his assistant. And then Tim passed the job on to him, played with Tom. Tom was his assistant, passed it on. I played for my brother and Tom. I was Tom's assistant, passed it on. So a cool little family feeling and a legacy.
0: That's awesome. I never knew that story. And, and so to hear you wrap that up at the end, <laughs> that there's only been four coaches there in four decades and it's very much a family operation, especially since you played for your brother It's just eye opening because, again, did not know that. And what it leads me to follow up on, especially a year removed from college, very similar to me when I took over at El Camino High School in Sacramento. I was 24. You were 25. There's a lot that we probably felt we were prepared for after our careers as an assistant but also probably quite a bit that we realized very quickly, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And you had that parent support. Hey, we will make sure you're successful, but can you identify a few of those things now, 15 years into the career that at the beginning, boy, I thought I was ready and I had no idea about X, Y, and Z.
2: Absolutely. And of course, as the years go on, things change. You learn some new things along the way, but the first piece of this is our program historically has traveled a ton. So in that first year, we had plans to go to New York right after Christmas and to Chicago over the Martin Luther King weekend. And so that understanding of I'm taking people's kids across the country and I'm the responsible party for making sure everything goes smooth. All the details that go into that kind of planning, just, okay, I needed some help. And again, people were there for me. I remember having a conversation, maybe my second or third year into the program with one of the parents who was a, was a mentor to me. And he said, you're not the varsity boys basketball coach. You're the CEO of of this program. And for better or for worse, what takes place in this program is your responsibility. Again, that was an eye-opener for me because I thought of it as the basketball coach, the mentor, nope, you're running a program. You're the CEO. Things rest on your shoulders. And so as time went on, that that better understanding and grip on I'm not just coaching this team, I've really got to take responsibility for the entirety of the program it was a big one. The other thing I, I think I learned along the way, and I wasn't necessarily prepared for when I was first entering the position is be careful what you wish for type of scenario. You know, you're asking for support, you're asking for help, whether it's from parents, from administration. I, I've always said, A good program is made, at least at the high school level, of four things, talented and committed players, talented and committed coaches, talented and committed administrators, and supportive parents, right? Those four components really help make a great program. But I also had to learn how to take control over what I felt was most important. And, and really create the autonomy that I needed in order to be the decision maker, to have the vision, set forward a vision and follow it and not let it be other people's vision, so to speak. Like I need support, but I've got to create the vision for where this thing should go and how we should get there and take ownership of that. So I, that really helped me grow, not just as a coach, but as a professional, as an individual.
0: Yeah. I want to follow up on the Piece about being the CEO of a program. I read something in the last year where it's intentionally caused me to stop referring to our coaches as the head varsity coach, but they are the leader of X program for that exact reason. Like you are responsible. The JV team reports to you, those athletes are your athletes. It's not this isolated provincial teams, there's vertical integration, and it all flows uphill. And so for all the goods and bads, that's a great way that parent was able to tip you off to that early on. And it probably really changed the frame that you are now looking at that job through and moved you quicker down the line to professional development than just being in the gym with the guys doing what you love doing. And I love that analogy. I think that'll serve really well for others looking to understand what that role really entails. As you figured out listing those four things and recognizing those are all important, but I need to be able to set the vision. It needs to be mission appropriate for the school. And I need to be able to execute this. What is the best thing that you do in your program that has the largest ripple effect on allowing you to execute on that vision and create culture?
2: Yeah, uh, great question. And actually something that you just mentioned, that was one of the transitions that I began to make and understand, right? And that's culturally, it's not just coaching my guys at the varsity level, but how do I impact the, the freshmen? How do I keep them hungry and understanding what the expectations are as we move forward. How do I get, especially we're a Catholic school. And so we can lean into the spiritual components and all that kind of good stuff. I I started to lean into this whole mentorship experience for our older guys. And as a coach, as the varsity basketball coach, sometimes it would actually frustrate me to integrate the JV and freshman group into what we were doing, because I feel like we're taking a step back a little bit. I want to move like I want to teach at the calculus level and I got to teach algebra one right now. That would frustrate me at times, but I also realized how important it was for that culture piece. I wanted the young guys to understand what kind of responsibility they were going to have two and three years from now to bring the next group of kids up and along. I wanted the old, older guys to know that when you leave here, you don't leave here, you're creating a legacy. One of the coolest things uh, I love about our program when we're allowed to the open gyms and whatnot, we'll have 20 to 25 alumni coming back and play an open gym with our current guys in the springtime, in the summer, over a Thanksgiving break. I, th- those guys are there. They come back. They come to games. They text me when things aren't going well. They care. They really care about the program. And I think that's a culture piece that started to manifest when I realized it's not just coaching this team. Set the tone, ask these older guys to mentor these younger guys, even when it frustrates them, because it's not just about making the program better. I I firmly believe and I tell the parents this all the time. Basketball is a tool to help young men become men. And what we're doing right here is not about the wins and losses. And trust me, I want to win. I'm very competitive. But ask me. 15 years from now, if that season was successful, I'll be able to tell you a lot more, right? Because if we've helped these young men grow and develop as human beings, as leaders, as future fathers, or whatever it is, now we've really done our job. And so that focus of helping raise young men has been big in terms of our culture. Are
0: there specific, I'm going to use the word things for right now, that you can offer that Allow those older students to understand, no, Johnny, here's what I mean by this is your responsibility to this younger student. This is my expectation. So that leadership is getting delegated from you to the older kids and down to the younger kids.
2: Yeah. Some of it is as simple as being intentional with our preseason work. All right. Today, everybody, all three programs are together. And I'm going to make sure I pair uh, player X with player Y because I see the similarities there. I want this kid to mentor. So just literally being intentional about the way you put together groups and that type of thing. We also have done some off-the-court stuff, such as creating families, right? So we'll be... Intentional about saying, All right, I'm going to take this senior and pair him with this sophomore and this freshman. You guys are a family. I'm going to ask you to do something every other week at school, whether it's having lunch. We might have themes that these kids will, will chat about. Uh, this has ebbed and flowed. Sometimes I've been really structured with it, and at other times I, I haven't been, to be honest. But it helps to just help create that sense of responsibility for that older player that, look, I got a younger guy that I need to help bring along. And a lot of our players who have been successful in our program have talked about looking up to the older guys. They've talked about seeing this older guy and being inspired by this older guy. Some of it has been meaningful, even like professionally and those type of things as as well. Those are two basic ideas. I used to do tournaments in the summer where it was like the varsity guys would go. And I didn't really bring the, the JV or freshman guys with us. So I've changed that in recent years where we're going to pick a couple of, of tournaments that everybody goes to, and then we'll spend some time at those summer tournaments, building those relationships and being intentional about the mentoring piece.
0: That last piece I think is very understated, but super important because. As you mentioned, traditionally your program travels and You're only playing three, four games, right? But you're spending hours in the car, hours in the vans, hours on the plane or whatever. And that time together is where those bonds are built. So bringing those kids along intentionally in the summer probably has been transformational for really pushing that culture piece to the next level. The other thing I want to go back to what you said is basketball is a tool to help young men become men. And what I traditionally tell our department is we use sports as a vehicle to teach leadership and followership and how to be part of something bigger than yourself. And it's just the vehicle, right? The wins and losses matter. It's a metric. It's something you can measure. And the process is what we're really about. How do you pour into this growth piece to help everyone understand what it means to be on a team, how the world works, right? How do you play a particular role in any given situation? And on that note, especially because you spend the majority of your time on a different campus in your real job. I'm curious about what you've learned watching other teams, be it basketball or not, but you have access right at Cal Poly to go and watch whatever practices and games you want. And then you also have access at Mission Prep to see your colleagues work. Are there things you've been able to appropriate from other coaches and other programs that you've implemented into yours?
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. There's a number of things that actually immediately come to mind. And first is an example of actually getting a chance to spend time with John Calipari. My nephew was a walk-on at Kentucky. Didn't play a ton, but I had that tremendous experience and got a chance to go and sit and just chat with Coach Calipari, and he told me at that point that they had just come back from a retreat, and he said we spent the entire weekend at this retreat and did not talk about basketball. And it was eye-opening for me because a lot of coaches had, had talked about oh, you got to love each other, we got to care about it, and. It, and honestly, I didn't buy into that so much because I'm old school in the way it's like, no, like we got to compete together, but I, I don't care if I like you or not. No, we're coming to play. That's how it began my career. And it's, it definitely started to transition. I started to understand the components of how people fit together and all those kind of things, but that was big to me. And so really inspired. We have this phrase Mudita and it's a, a staple of who we aspire to be as a program. Really what it means is to have joy in the success of others. But that's become a focal point of a lot of the stuff that we do. How am I being about something bigger than myself? And how am I inspiring others around me to be better? And how am I truly gaining joy by your success? So that's one thing. Also off the court, because so much of what we do is off the court. I've really learned from football. We've had a couple of really good football coaches come through mission. Chad Henry was one. Coach Schuster is there now. And just watching them, they're regimented their preparedness, the way that they will put together, again, the off the court stuff, the pieces of the puzzle that build the themes for the year, the focuses of this is who we want to be as men. So I've, I've incorporated some of that stuff. And then I, I love the game. I fell in love with the game as a little kid. And it wasn't just the highlights of the game. It was actually the X's and O's and how do people move? I I can't watch the game without studying the game. I'm a Lakers fan, but I I don't just watch the the Lakers play. I'm watching movement. I'm watching spacing. I'm typically watching with a pen and a pad, whether it's professional, college. Like I'm taking notes every time I'm watching. And so much of what we do has come from other programs and like even just plays. And I usually, I'll, I'll, I'll give credit to those other programs. We'll, we'll oftentimes name a play after. I stole it from Bishop Diego, so we call it Bishop. But having a chance to be a student of the game and never losing that eagerness to learn has been fun. I love picking the brain of other coaches. I've learned from you, man. As I've c- come to your tournament or you've come to, to play with us over the summer, just watching coaches, watching that interaction and, and, and how you can push kids, but also love on those kids. They know there's high expectations, but I'm with you, right? I'm here for you. Like those are things that I'm constantly watching and trying to pick up nuggets from other coaches.
0: Perfect. I love that. And it leads me right into the next piece of this. You set it up perfectly because you said I'm old school. I used to X and here's yeah. what I've been trying to learn. And before I get to the question, your comment about the retreat and No Basketball, I'm part of this group where we have uh, purpose partners we talk to every day, and my partner right now is a college basketball coach, and yesterday when we got on the phone, he says, hey, today we're not going to talk about basketball at all. We're going to talk about this, and we're not going to get into because it always goes there if you got two coaches yeah. on the phone, so having to actually set that boundary is really freeing because it allows you to stay in the lane that you want to be in intentionally for whatever work you're trying to do on yourself. So I really love that piece of the story. But how has your approach to coaching changed in the last 15 years as the head coach? And obviously you got the seven under your belt as an assistant coach as well, but all this studying and watching and, and what you're doing, how can you look at it now in hindsight and go, wow, here's one or two ways in which I have specifically changed my approach.
2: Yeah, uh, there are some specifics. Number one is focusing on the, the individuals more than just the X's and O's, right? Because when I first came in, it was so much about how are we going to execute? And I actually remember a player telling me, like, so simply, he's like, coach, when you say this stuff, I don't understand it. When you write it down, I do. boom eye-opening like every kid learns differently and as uh, for me as a coach it was no I told you what we got to do let's get out here and execute it but as I grew in coaching it's not sometimes as much as it may frustrate me because it's not how I do business I got to meet people where they are to a certain extent I have to find a way to connect with each of these individuals so that they trust me believe in me care can get to listening to me because they know I'm caring for them. So that's one piece. I will say that I'm less fiery than I used to be. I'm still intense, but I'm more pick my times to have the explosions just because that's how I played. I played very intense and almost like an alter ego. When I'm on the court, it's flip a switch and mm-hmm let's go. But again, everybody doesn't respond to that. So I had to find ways to get players to to be able to hear me. I think having kids changed me as a coach, no doubt about it. Really trying to find a a different patience level. I I view myself so much more as a teacher than I did when I first started coaching. And you mentioned something earlier, actually, about being off campus. I, I actually think that's one of the biggest challenges that I specifically have, as a coach, because I'm not there day to day, seeing some of the things that are going on, maybe even sometimes to help be the disciplinarian, to nip something in the boat before it blows up, but also just to have those casual interactions with kids, right? Like we're not talking hoops, we're just what's going on. So you lose some of that being off campus. And over the years, it's also made me be more intentional about my staff as well. So for the last probably five or six years, I've had somebody who's on campus because I, I needed that link. I needed somebody who's actually there on a day-to-day basis helping out with the program. So I, those are a, a few specifics and how I've changed, but definitely even the vision, the vision of what is success. And, and still I mean, we've been fortunate to win a lot of games, but the vision of what success looks like has definitely changed from start to finish.
0: Yeah, I think that's inevitable when you shift from the strategy piece to looking at the individuals. And you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. I'm not going to be able to evaluate how this team did until 15, 16 years down the road. When I start hearing what these men are doing with their lives. And that's the cliche of how many weddings I've been able to go to of my former players and texts I'm getting when kids are coming and a sonogram photo from one of my guys the other day. And those are the things in the relationship pieces that transcend any individual season. And I think it's inevitable that your definition of success is going to change when you shift
2: your lens to that. And and real quick on that, just one of the things I learned too, is that having that stuff along the way, the stuff that leads to those relationships and those players reaching back to you and knowing that you care about them, that also translates on the court, right? Right. That helps when you have talented players who are now bought in or also understand this guy cares about me. And they're going to be willing to work a little harder. They're also going to hopefully use that to care about their teammates. And that translates into on the court success as well. I really do believe that.
0: 100%. And I think the other thing that you mentioned in regards to that is your intensity level and how you can coach. If the kids know and understand that you're in for them, that's going to be received differently than if it's transactional. And being off campus, as you mentioned, is very hard. Not just because you miss some of the day-to-day minutia, but you have less points of contact with these kids, right? Your point of contact is in the gym, whereas yeah. as an on-campus teacher, I might have them in class. At a boarding school, they might be in my dorm, and then I coach them. So I'm seeing three different versions of this person, which then informs which buttons I have to push and the learning styles that you mentioned. So it's great that you figured out a workaround to have somebody else who can get behind the curtain there and then pass that along to your staff. That leads me to this, because we're talking about growth. We're talking about approach and how we've intentionally or not made choices of how we're going to interact with our student athletes. What is something that you've most recently changed your mind on? And this can be about coaching. It can be about just life in general. But I came across this question and I thought it was fascinating and I've been wrestling with it myself. So I just started throwing it into these
2: interviews. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. There's always things that I pick up and or decide, all right, maybe I got to move in a different direction. Some of them nuggets that I've learned from other coaches or things that I want to try that I've seen from other coaches. One is parent engagement, right? I, I saw from a coach, Over the summer, he talked about how he uh, approaches the season and he meets with every family. And they talk about what success looks like for their kid, because he wants that family to be a a partner in helping get from point A to to point B. And so a part of me says, no, you got to keep things at arm's length, the coach, the coach, But at the same time, it's even a part of our mission as a a school, this partnership with the families. So we haven't had the fortune of playing this year. And so I haven't gone through this process with the the families yet, but it's something I plan to implement to actually have a sit down and I'll have each head coach do it with their players and families, but to talk about what success looks like. and, And one of the things he said, if playing time is one of the definitions of success, Like we got to back up because that's not what this is going to be about. What do you want your son to get out of this experience? That's what we need to, to talk about. And that's something, whether it's basketball, whether it's business, expectations are really important. Sometimes you feel like you're falling short or you feel like you're not getting what you need and just knowing expectations wasn't there. You and I didn't have the same expectation for how this was supposed to go today. I leave disappointed or you leave disappointed, but you set those expectations now it's okay here's what we're striving towards so that's one thing that i've recently just thought okay i can dive into this parent thing
0: i just think it's fascinating because it's very proactive and preventative if you're willing to see it in that way not only are you really trying to put a support system around each individual athlete early action against whatever parent issues and playing time issues may come up down the road. So I just think it's such a fascinating concept and awesome share.
2: Bingo. Yep. Like I said, I got that. I can't remember who it was, but I got that from someone else. Another thing that I've recently changed my mind on is really like, my place and my position as an African-American, a Black man in this society and this cultural experience that everybody is engaged with, especially over the last summer with everything that was, was going on, started with the George Floyd situation and kind of social justice movements and protests, like having an awakening and an understanding of what's my responsibility. I don't want to overstep any bounds, but I do feel like I'm in a unique position to offer my perspective, to offer my experiences, both good and bad, and to to be a little bit more forward and, and jump in and have these conversations with our players and actually to force them to have conversations with each other about what they see and where they are. Because again, at the end of the day, my job is to help them grow as men. And I feel like if I don't approach, and if I'm not willing to have some of these conversations with them, and and, and not just cursory conversations, but to, to dive in, and we're going to have some uncomfortable situations, but let's do that, because that's where growth comes from. And that's something I wouldn't, I've always been willing to talk about who I am and honest individual basis when I'm engaging with kids. I'll talk about maybe some of my experiences to just shed light on things, but I didn't make it a focal point of the program ever, but this year we've spent a lot of time on Zoom as a program, but we've set aside time to talk specifically about how we show up as a community, and I have to do that also understanding that there are some different perspectives, and and my way isn't the only way. I, I have to respect that, and I really want to model that for the players too like we got to lean into each other because really there's so much more that we can gain if we're willing to lean in as opposed to put up a wall and say look it's this way or, or none other right i don't think the
0: expectation would ever be that your opinion is the right and only one right your job as the leader is to hold space to have those difficult conversations that can That's be right. very sensitive and your do you call it an eye opening in the way in which you need to lean into that discomfort and, and own that space. So you can create space for your athletes to grow is really one inspirational two empowering for probably both you and your, your student athletes. And three leads me to a follow-up that may be a little sensitive, but since you brought it up, I'm going to throw it out there as a person of color in I'm going to assume that it's a traditionally wider space at Mission Prep and probably in San Luis Obispo in general and at Cal Poly as you navigate those places where you're definitely not in the majority of people, what advice do you have for others having built a successful career in two different areas of how to potentially do that when you are in the minority in a group, right? Be it a female, be it a person of color, whatever. But you're definitely coming into contact with circumstances that are beyond your control that may be difficult to navigate without the appropriate toolbox.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. and. A lot of layers, but honestly, I, I remember, it, and you're right, like the reality of this community, San Luis Obispo area, I like to call it very vanilla. There's not a lot of Black folks, more Hispanic, Latino folks than, than African-American, but it's predominantly white. It is it is what it is. And so I, I grew up here. And one thing that my dad put in me that I, I really didn't understand at the time, because he wasn't explicit really about race as much as he was just trying to condition me for like how I needed to show up. So he taught me a lot about putting my best foot forward. And it put a lot of pressure on me, to be honest. Like it put pressure on me to always be ready, to always be on. But quite frankly, it's something that has carried me through my career. Seeing every day as an interview is something that has carried me to where I'm at. Like I'm aware that like the things I say, the things I do, the actions I take, they have a big impact. And yes, it's a burden that I carry, but it's an awareness that I needed that I wouldn't be where I am today professionally if I didn't learn early on to show up, like you got to show up every time. And then I, I, I carry that to just how I coach too. I'm not asking kids to be perfect. I'm asking them to be the best version of themselves. I'm asking them to give me their best effort. And if you can tell me you gave me your best effort, cool. If you can't go back and examine And so being a person of of color and being in the minority very frequently, I wanted to make sure that people saw me as somebody who can carry a burden, who can carry a load, somebody who delivers. And I don't want it to be about what I look like. I want it to be about what I am. But I'm also not naive to think some people might see me as a certain way because of what I look like. That's the skin I live in. I can't shed that. And that's the world we live in. I can't shed that, but I do want them to be able to to look at me and see an example of success. I want them to look at me and say, man, that's the kind of person that I want my son to be. That's the kind of person I want my daughter to to be or to be around. And I want them to be able to to see a positive image of what an African-American man looks like. I want people to see the image of me being a good father. Right, that that's a stereotype that can be out there uh, about the black community. Now, nah, I need you to see that I can love all my kids, be present for my kids, and be a great father just like anybody else. Because imagery is important in everything that we do. Imagery is important, not just from a position of color, but I think what you're around you a lot of times shapes your your views of the world. Right. So I want to put some good imagery wherever I am. I want to put that good imagery out so that people walk away with a certain expectation, a certain realization about not only who I am, but what we can be as a people.
0: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think what you just mentioned at the end, I want people to see it because if you can see it, you can be it. And if you don't have those models and you don't have the opportunity to learn from maybe somebody who went before, then you're going into this whole thing blind. So I really appreciate you sharing that probably very beneficial for anybody that's listening and, and thanks for your courage and vulnerability there. I want to end this thing with advice you would give your younger self, right? You fell into this thing like I did as a young pup in college, helping out, trying to figure out your way because you love the game. And then you got your arm twisted into being the head coach at 25 and you've stumbled and fallen throughout. And so I'm going to mix two questions into one. It, do you have any f- failures that you've leaned on throughout your career that have just been like, this was really a transformational moment. And as such, what advice would you give your younger self not to avoid that? Cause that failure has probably been super important, but to give you the keys to the test a little bit earlier. So you could be prepared when that came.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And what you just said actually is, is how I walk through life. Right. So I, I'm going to answer the second question. First advice I would give my younger self is to view failure as learning opportunities, to actually frame it that way and not be afraid to make a decision because of a potential negative outcome. I've heard it said a couple of different ways, fail fast, or our president of the university, he used this when he says uh, his dad would tell him, make a decision and then make it right. Hey, here's the path I'm walking. All right, if there's stumbles along the way, how do I make it right? How do I make it right? So I think i almost leaning back to that last question. There's this sense of, For a long time, there was a sense of wanting to be perfect in everything I do. And you're not going to be perfect, dude. That's just not going to happen. So don't be afraid to make the decision. Even if you have to clean some stuff up, make a decision, stick to your convictions. Early on, I didn't necessarily have those. This is who I am. This is what I will always fall back on. These are the principles of my program. So I developed those along the way to be able to say, nope, I got to fall back on my principles. I didn't know that early on. The first question a failure that that I learned from, man, I am maniacal about preparation and I can't always, sometimes the tournaments and such, like sometimes you don't have the luxury of being as prepared as you wish, but I put in the hours to be prepared regardless of how late, how early in the morning I'm up to, to get prepared. I put in the hours to prepare myself and to prepare our kids and I, I learned that lesson first year. We had a great team, a really good team, talented team. We lost in the semifinals of the playoffs to a team we should not have lost to. I was not prepared as a coach for some of the stuff that they threw at us. I knew we were the better team. I didn't take them for granted. I knew we were the better team, but I leaned on somebody else to help me get prepared. I leaned on somebody. I didn't have any film and I leaned on a coach of another program. okay. Like, hey, you're playing, they were playing them. Send me i I'll, I'll just ask him for the film if they lose, when they lose. I was expecting that to, to happen. He never gave me the film. I didn't have film from any previous games. We walked into that game pretty blind. And in the first half, man, they picked us apart and set the tone. We made adjustments, but now we're in a dogfight, foul trouble all kind of stuff adding up against a team that we sh- should have been able to handle pretty easily. And that really talented team lost in a semifinal. And I couldn't forgive myself for not having those kids prepared. I look back and I'm like, that's one of those moments that they had a chance to be champions. And I felt like I let them down. And so I knew that will never be my story again. It, it, we will. Ne- I will never look back and say, if only I had prepared the team we would have been okay. Nope. I'm going to do my homework. You all are going to, scouting reports, very, like, I'm going to do this piece. Some of the kids, I'm convinced they don't study them. I'll ask them questions and they're like, uh uh uh-huh. But for me, it's not going to be on my back that I didn't give you an opportunity to be prepared for the test we're about to walk into. That's my job as a teacher. I can't give you a test. If I didn't teach the lessons yeah. and I failed that first year, man. And that feeling was horrible, especially for those kids who deserved better, frankly, of me and just knew this can't be my story.
0: Yep. And I think such a good way to wrap this up because what you learned in year one is you need a plan. Then you need a contingency. Then you need another contingency plan to make sure that when all those first ones go wrong, you're still delivering Above the expectation that you've set for yourself, not for anyone else. Like, here's what I expect of myself. And am I delivering that? And it was a great reminder to me, like, you can only rely on yourself and the plans that you have put in place. And if you're waiting on somebody else to show up for you, you're not giving yourself the best opportunity to be successful.
2: That's right. That's exactly it. And I've taken that responsibility on, but I also passed that on to the players and to, to my staff. I said, look, man, we're responsible for us. Like We're responsible for putting our best effort forward. I didn't put the best effort forward and it bit me like, so how many times in life will that be the case? Preparation plus opportunity equals success. That's he, he drilled that in me. I got to ha- be prepared so that when the opportunity comes, I could take success. Yeah. If I skip that preparation point, When the opportunity comes, I fail the test. That's not just basketball, that's business, that's family, that's school. Now, I always tell the guys, but as long as we got breath in our body, we got a chance to go back and get better. So don't dwell on the fact that I messed this up. I wasn't prepared. What's the next opportunity that I can prepare for? Don't rest on the mistake. Find a way to fix it and be better.
0: Yeah. And I love that piece right there. And I heard this probably five, six, seven years ago at this point, but the idea in film, right, of them doing takes of filming, take one, take two, take three. And when we make mistakes, it's just a mistake. Just do it again. But with what you've learned from that experience. And I think often we personalize failure as some sort of condemnation of us versus no, here's what happened. Here's what I can learn from it. And to your point, the next time, that's not going to happen again. And that's the, yeah. the, the major takeaway, I think, is every experience you have is an opportunity for you to have a response, which then could lead to another outcome. I love that story. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for being here today and taking the time to get off the golf course there behind you and uh, <laughs> spend some time.
2: Hey, man, I greatly appreciate it. I love what you're doing. I love creating the avenues and just opportunities for us to learn from each other. We all benefit from that. So appreciate you and I'll see you soon.
1: This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is, no matter the experience, you gotta keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at TeachHoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to TeachHoops.com.
0: This is Natasha Mcil, recreational tennis player at the Club at Pasadena and labor and delivery nurse. Ever feeling tired after a long day at work or after a tough practice? Try Element. That's L-M-N-T for the energy you're missing in your life. It's sugar-free and filled with electrolytes your body needs for energizing power. Try it risk-free, money-back guarantee, with our special offer at Drink Element. That's L-M-N-T dot com slash Justin Climo. You only pay the shipping. What's there to lose?
1: Power up.
0: Thanks for listening. If you found this valuable, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and give contacts and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support.